This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there and thank you for downloading this Eye on Education podcast from the 30th of September. On today's programme, we put a special focus on well-being, in particular now that pupils don't have to wear masks in school. We were joined by Lizzie Varley, the Wellbeing Education Advisor for the school group Cognita, and Amy Carroll, the Wellbeing Lead and Vice Principal at Ranches Primary School, told us what she does at her school to keep her children happy and healthy. Meanwhile, educators the world over say it's important for children to fail – But how, as parents, can we create a safe space for that to happen? We spoke to Dr John Cox, the headmaster of Royal Grammar School Guildford in the UK, about character development. Plus, a massive new scholarship fund has been created for Emiratis looking to study abroad. We spoke to the team at Abu Dhabi's Department of Education and Knowledge about the project, and also to an Emirati who's been the lucky recipient of a scholarship. Plus, in our My Classroom feature, we spoke to a woman who runs a school on a beach. Candy Finucci is the founder and owner of Pirate Surf Rescue Team in Dubai. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. It is our opportunity to look at all the school's headlines that have been uh, basically coming across our desks here at the ARN News Centre and also at the Agenda. Uh, We will be focusing this programme on well-being and also on scholarships. Those are your two sort of top lines for the next two hours. Uh, But first up, I've been joined in the studio by producer Andrew Hosey because we have been having a look at some of the the top headlines in education over the last few days. Uh, Let's start with something you just heard Serena Kelly mention there, which is that there is a search on to identify and support the best thinkers in the Arab world. It started this week and there are millions of dirhams in funding available. Yes, and launching the prize, Mohammed Al-Gurgawi, the Minister of Cabinet Affairs, compared the Great Arab Minds Project to the Nobel Prize Mm. because the judges are looking to identify intellectuals, researchers and professionals in fields including physics, maths, data science, economics and higher education. Each year for five years, six of the brightest people will be given millions of dirhams of funding to support their work. So there's going to be six categories. We've got natural sciences, which is physics and chemistry. We've got medicine, literature and arts, economics, technology and engineering, and also architecture and design. Uh, To apply, must be Arab and have made a contribution to the Arab world. And the Museum of the Future will be used as a base for the programme which will be overseen by four cabinet ministers. Interesting stuff. Definitely one that we'd like to look into a little bit further. We'll be putting bids in uh, for Mohammed Al-Gagawi and those other ministers to see if they'd be happy to come on the show to talk to us about it. Now, meanwhile, Sharjah's Education Authority has made an announcement regarding their COVID-19 regulations. Yes. So as you know, each emirate is permitted to make its own rules regarding COVID-19. And Sharjah's Private Education Authority has announced that parents visiting Schools and educational institutions in Sharjah must have a green pass on the Al Hassan app. The pass turns green after an individual takes a PCR test and gets a negative result. For vaccinated individuals, the status remains green for 30 days, while for unvaccinated ones, it is seven days. 
Meanwhile, in Saudi Arabia, the government there is launching new educational visas for students. And there's two categories, aren't there? Long and short term. That's right, yes. So the long term visa will be granted to students, researchers and expats. This is for the purposes of academic study and research visits. The short-term visa will be granted to students, researchers and visiting trainees for the purposes of language study, training, participation in short programmes and also student exchange programmes, interestingly enough. Normally, it's mandatory for all expats who wish to work in the kingdom to have a Saudi sponsor, but holders of these new educational visas will be excluded from that requirement. Interesting stuff. Uh, Certainly you can get the impression there that the Saudis are keen to attract as many quality students to the kingdom as possible. Uh, There's also been some interesting figures regarding education and workforce skills out of the United Nations. Yes, so in 57 of 108 countries, more than half of the workforce have jobs not matching their level of education. That's according to figures revealed at the UN General Assembly. Now, this is called a skills mismatch, and over 70% of these skills mismatches are attributed to undereducation. And education experts say that due to this mismatch, hundreds of millions of young people find themselves unemployed and unemployable lacking the right skills to take up the jobs available. Also discussed at the event, the UN General Assembly, was the impact of climate change on education because climate-related disasters displaced three times more people than conflict and violence in 2020, jeopardising education for millions of children. And remember the World Food Programme touched on this on the interview yesterday, didn't they, Uh, in the morning, yesterday morning on the agenda, Georgia. So climate change is also why the renewable energy sector is booming, opening new jobs with new challenges and skills requirements. But the problem is, it's not industry specific. So the global economy is shifting towards high skilled industries that demand green and digital skills, making the skills mismatch even bigger. So experts at the UN General Assembly are finding that without the necessary education and qualifications, many young people are going to be vulnerable to a lifetime of underemployment, a lack of decent work opportunities and significant impacts on their families, health, education and life outcomes. This is a message that has been coming through from the United Nations for quite a while now. In fact, uh, they were looking at the Horn of Africa situation uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, saying that there's a major problem there uh, with regards to education and bringing people into a world and and avoiding displacement. This is the 4.0 industry issue that has been raised, that even children in developed countries aren't necessarily being prepared for the world that they're going to face when they leave school. I spend most of my time telling my children they have to be engineers. My husband thinks they should be allowed to do creative industries. I'm like, no, no. No, no, they need to be no, engineers. engineers. They can, move, you know, build, they can build stuff, design stuff. It's, yeah, um, I mean, I think that's a, a big discussion that's going on. And yes, uh, lots of countries are going to have to look at, at the kind of workforce they're, they're bringing up. Not least in the Philippines, because officials there in the Department of Education have described a crisis in the country's education sector. Yes, this is according to the Department of Education under Secretary Epimaco Denzing. No less than Vice President Sarah Duterte, he says, uh, is concurrent, who concurrently are heading the agency, agency, making it clear to them that there is a crisis situation. During a budget hearing 
hearing in the Senate. Senate President Pro Tempore Lauren Lagarde asked what steps the department is taking to address challenges to learners' reading and literacy. Lagarde cited the 2019 programme for international student assessment where the Philippines came in last among 79 countries in reading comprehension and second lowest in both mathematical and scientific literacy. Vice President Sarah Duterte then outlined to the Senate Finance Subcommittee how they intend to address the problem. So this is what they are outlining, including the creation of a learning recovery and continuity plan, such as profiling and clustering of learners based on academic needs. Expanding learning time, conducting end-of-school year or summer learning remediation intervention programs and engaging parents or legal guardians in facilitating learning. Not much more details on what that actually means though. That's really interesting. It sounds like they're going to stream pupils and basically extend the school day in order to catch up. And you know, it's that's a very interesting topic because I think it's a I, I, obviously, it's a major problem in the Philippines, but I think there is a generation of children, uh, particularly in the state system, for example, in the United Kingdom, who have missed out on education during COVID-19 mm-hmm. as a consequence have fallen back. And there was a lot of talk among governments around the world of, of doing exactly what the Philippines are planning to do, you know, extra classes during the holidays, essentially. But I haven't seen much of it actually happening. It does seem that that would be punishing children more. You know, on <laughs> Some top children of children like school. <laughs> but but you're on top right. of what's happened over the last two and a half years to then go, right, that's yeah. happened. Sorry. And we know it's not your problem, but to make up for it, Here's we're cutting school. your holidays. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that is a very fair point. Uh, Interesting stuff. Well, uh, fascinating to hear how the Philippines are planning to take steps in order to improve the education uh, system over there. They're also looking at English, aren't they, Uh, improving the use of the English language? They are indeed, yes. Uh, Subjects taught in English, conducting regular home visitation and follow-ups with regarding to... uh, reading and implementation of programs in the English language and strengthening instructional supervision, amongst others. So, uh, yeah, they're uh, taking it seriously, which is good. Very good news to hear that. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Now, well-being in schools in the UAE has come under the spotlight in recent years, in particular since the pandemic. And at the start of this year, Dubai's Knowledge and Human Development Authority released the results of their school well-being census. At the time, we spoke to Hint Al-Muala, the chief of Creativity, Happiness and Innovation at the KHDA. Uh, The results basically of the census suggested that students were generally happy and had great relationships with their friends and teachers. But I asked her whether there were areas that needed improvement and what schools could do about them. When it comes to the student's life, there is um, no one size fits all. And this is why every school gets a detailed report on what their student says. And so the action plan and what's not working here in this particular school might be different than the other. But in general, not just in Dubai, children, when they get old, their uh, their perception of well-being get less and their sleep goes down, their um, regular breakfast diet goes down. So all of this while you are growing up, certain behaviors and practices you do on your day is impacted and this influences your perceived well-being. 
So to find out more about how teachers at schools like Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai are doing to improve well-being in their schools, I spoke to Lizzie Varley, who's the Safeguarding and Wellbeing Education Advisor for Cognita Middle East, who run RGS Guildford, Dubai, and also Amy Carroll, who's the Wellbeing Lead and Vice Principal at Ranches Primary School. And I asked Lizzie, I started with her, uh, and I asked her basically what it is that they focus on each year. Cognita has something called Global will be World Day that they recognise every single year and that's across all schools. It's over 90 schools across the globe and it's part of the wellbeing strategy that Cognita have. They have something called the Be Well Charter which is made up of physical contributors and mental contributors and it's just an opportunity for us to kind of connect across the globe and to recognise and celebrate um, the importance of wellbeing in schools. I think maybe in the past schools saw themselves uh, in more of an educational role, purely there to teach maths, English and science. That definitely seems to have evolved since I was in permanent education, at least. Why do you think that is? Nowadays, education, there's a real understanding. There's been a lot of research into what education is about and what it should be about. And holistic education has come to the forefront of being just as important, if not more important than those traditional subjects. Having children that are confident, that are resilient, um, that can persevere, that are empathetic and compassionate, um, all of those things, uh, well-being supports and um, supports children to flourish, as, as well as having that real understanding of diet, the importance of exercise, the importance of sleep um, as they move into adulthood. So I think over the years, um, education has changed, it is shifting, and you'll see that across across all schools. And it is just really important that schools take the time to educate children around around the concept um, of well-being and how they can have agency over their own well-being I think is probably the most important part. Amy how does that actually reflect the way in which you teach and the structure of the day at the Ranches Primary School? Well-being is at the heart of everything we do in Cognita Schools but when we look at Global Be Well Day it gives us a real opportunity to really dive into a full day to focus on our well-being. It's about the community so for example at Ranches Primary School we'll have events for the children the staff and the parents. So it's about the community coming together. So to give you a bit of a taste of what we'll be doing, this year's theme, it's diet through sustainability. So diet and nutrition through sustainability. So if I look at our younger learners, they will be doing some sensory experiences with different fruit and vegetables. We've got some bouncy castles for their exercise, bit of music and movement. As we move up the school, um, the children will be reading The Colour Monster to really connect with their feelings and their friends' feelings. And then they'll look at a healthy diet. So if we look at the more colour you have in your diet, the more vitamins, the more antioxidants you're going to have. So for the children, we want them to paint their diet, basically. Then our older learners in Key Stage 2, they're going to be looking at a sustainable diet. What does it look like? What choices can you make? So they're looking at kind of the packaging and foods to see, OK, where do they travel to and from? And then on the back of that, we've got our school garden that we're developing. They're going to be planting fruits, vegetables, getting that garden to come to life. We also have then kind of whole school events. We'll have our assemblies. We've got wellbeing ambassadors. They will be explaining the Be Well Charter, which Lizzie spoke about, um, to the students. So the students are leading it, which I think has a real positive impact. They've real ownership over the wellbeing at ranches. Um, and then to complement it, our parent events, we've got a nutritionist coming in on how to pack a healthy lunchbox. We have a brilliant enrichment programme and they'll be running a parent exercise session. So we're really looking forward to the day tomorrow. It sounds like a great day of celebration. And in some ways, it would be amazing if people could do that every single day at schools. 
how about in your normal school day? How do you try to weave these principles into the tapestry of the normal school day? Yeah, and I think it, it has to become part of your school culture. You know, um, it, it goes down to welcoming students in the morning, knowing if granny's in town, and it's making those connections really, really important. Um, in terms of one of the mental contributors of giving, we do a lot of work with charities for the children. I think really important here in Dubai, we're really privileged to live here. So we work a lot with local charities and we have international charities that we work with as well for the children, just so they can have that feel-good feeling of giving to others and it doesn't necessarily have to be you know giving money or donations they can give their time as well which is really important um, part of the Cognita group we're just developing our PS- PSHE curriculum um, and that will really focus on you know those soft skills that Lizzie spoke about how we can have children who have resilience have grit you know when they go into you know working life the jobs that they'll need okay there will be a technology aspect but Nothing can replace having a conversation with someone, showing empathy to someone. Um, So these skill sets are really important. So I think for me, really, it goes back to the school culture and as adults setting a really good example and helping children to make really good choices, you know, because if they do make a mistake, how, how can we learn from it? How can we move on? And just really healthy discussions. You get a sense there of how your school and how your teachers really try to form a community around the families and around the pupils. But of course, in order to do that, it takes quite a lot of commitment. It takes quite a lot of time. And that can be difficult to carve out in a school day. Lizzie, how do you support your teachers in their own well-being? Because I imagine there might be some teachers listening to this going, well, that's all very well, but, but I've also got to mark the exam papers and, you know, I've got to set the spelling test for next week. And there's all these sort of, I mean, you hear teachers frequently complaining anecdotally about the amount of paperwork that they have to do. So how do you make sure that your teachers feel supported and, and have the time to do these lovely soft skills as well? Yeah, I think um, that's a it's a really important point, and um, well being of staff is is vital, and it's something that um, all the schools um, within Cognita are focused on. We have a well being strategy that goes across all elements of what we do in schools and um, things just simple things like making sure that um, there are fresh fruit and coffee around that teachers can have coffee all important it's good for radio presenters as well to be honest (laughs) but but, and it's also I think sometimes people don't um, necessarily realise what is involved with wellbeing and actually making sure that staff have are motivated and are challenged by their role and keeping them interested and engaged with what they're doing yes it's of course well workload has to be considered and it's again it's part of school culture being able to have that open kind of open conversation with the leaders in the school saying look at the moment I'm feeling really overwhelmed but having the confidence to be able to speak to leaders and that leaders are approachable and and, and will receive that really well so it's all about that strong positive culture um, and it's about really listening to each other you know it's about connections and really spending time to build those and building that into what we do day to day at school. That is Lizzie Varley there, who is in charge of well-being for Cognita in the Middle East. Uh, you also heard for Amy Carroll, who is the well-being lead and vice principal at Ranches Primary School. Now, up next, we'll be discussing with both of them exactly how big a deal the end of the face mask mandate is and how it's impacting on well-being in schools. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent 
independent and future-ready young people. We are discussing well-being in schools in the Emirates. As it's come under the spotlight in recent years, in particular since the pandemic, and at the start of this year, Dubai's Knowledge and Human Development Authority released the results of their school well-being census. Now, those results suggested that students were generally happy last year, despite the pandemic, and had great relationships with their friends and teachers. But to be honest, a lot of the records were actually kept private. Uh, Individual reports were sent to individual schools. So they could work on improving the situation within the school gates. But to find out more about how teachers at schools like Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai are doing to improve the well-being in their establishment, uh, I spoke to Lizzie Varley, who's the Safeguarding and Wellbeing Education Advisor for Cognita Middle East, and also Amy Carroll, who's the Wellbeing Lead and Vice Principal at Ranches Primary School. I spoke to them briefly yesterday because they're actually teaching right now, so they couldn't come on the radio show live. Uh, We're in the middle of the conversation, and I, I basically asked Lizzie what it is that they do to support their teachers because of course you can't have happy students if you don't have happy teachers. Encouraging staff to go on with their careers, making sure they have that opportunity to engage with what they want to engage with, keeping them kind of inspired um, and making sure that everyone is really aware of what the school's core focus is and their purpose. Um, But there's um, there's a whole... I find well-being fascinating, especially looking at positive psychology and all the science behind it. There's so much out there that we can look at and put into the context of schools. So, yeah, there are multiple different things that we do. But at the end of the day, our staff are there. They're modelling um, their, like, their well-being to the children that they're teaching. So it's vital that our staff are happy um, and they feel safe and they feel secure and they're thriving. So it is vital for us that staff well-being is uh, looked at. So obviously this week we've had a big change, not just in schools, but also in the United Arab Emirates, which I hope and and certainly for me and my children, it certainly improved our well-being because, of course, there's now no longer a need to wear masks during classes. I'd be really interested to hear, Lizzie, about how Cognita schools have reacted to that. And then, of course, we'll get down to the grassroots and find (laughs) out how it went in Arabian ranches. Yeah, no, of course. I think it's something that we've all been waiting for for a long time. And I think it was received definitely with excitement. However, with a a bit of a touch of uh, this is a change and actually we've been living like this for a long time um as, as a mother myself I was really excited that actually they've got they've grown quite um, accustomed to them so I think it's just it's a sensitivity around it just being aware that some people actually might find it difficult initially there's a, a transition period I think from you know going from all wearing masks to not wearing masks but overall yeah absolutely delighted and um, the schools have individually communicated that with their with their communities and have uh, approached it in their own way so I do a school run every day apart from Fridays and in my car are six children. I, I have enough seats. I have enough seat belts. <laughs> it's all done very officially. Yeah. But what is so interesting in my journey home yesterday is that one of there's only one girl in the car and she still had her mask on. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, why are you still wearing your mask? And in a similar way to what she just said, mm. she's slightly shy. She's got used to it. She yeah. likes wearing it. Now, Amy, is that something that you've seen in your pupils at, at the Ranches Primary School? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when we communicated to parents early in the week, one thing we were really mindful of is we're an inclusive community. We're an international school, you know, we've over 63 different nationalities. So we are going to have so many different families who approach this differently. So like that, we have some children who still want to wear a mask. We've got some staff members who still want to wear a mask as well. So we just want to be really mindful. You know, a couple of parents said to me, where's the big celebration? I said, look, I have done my little celebratory dance myself. But I said, 
we need to be really mindful of our school community and not everyone will have the same feeling. Like say for some people it's been a nice comfort. For shy children, some people have actually, you know, children have enjoyed that little bit of security that that a mask can bring. Um, but definitely a lot, a lot of happy faces skipping into school. A couple of children coming up saying, you know, Mrs. Carroll, I feel like I'm breaking a rule um, with the new freedom. But it's a really positive move. Um, you know, we're really seeing a lot of happy smiles around the school, which is brilliant. Amy Carroll there finishing off uh, that discussion with Lizzie Varley as well. So Amy Carroll, the wellbeing lead and vice principal at Ranches Primary School and Lizzie Varley, the safeguarding and wellbeing education advisor for Cognita Middle East. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Now we are discussing the importance of a rounded education on the programme today and putting a special focus on well-being and character development. Now earlier on I spoke to Dr John Cox. He's the headmaster of Royal Grammar School in the UK. Uh, It is one of the UK's leading all-boys schools based in Guildford, uh, which is fairly near London if you don't know the UK all that well. Of course they do have a school out here now called Royal Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai. Basically, I started by asking him how you can encourage children to develop their characters. I mean, I always say to the boys at RGS, your A-stars will get you a job interview, but they won't get you a job. And what gets you the job is the other things that they're going to need to, to exhibit. I would say all schools are formative experiences, aren't they? I mean, you will remember your inspirational teacher at your school and the influence that they had on you and that influence stays with you and I think the development of young people at school uh, establishes the type of character that they are going to bear as an adult now obviously that can change but the fundamentals are set very early on so if you can provide an educational setting which continually reinforces uh, positive values of kindness and empathy and working together, leadership, perseverance, I would say as well. You are actually going to influence the young people of today who will then go on and use the skills that they've learned in school when they become the leaders of tomorrow. And therefore, we, as all schools do, have a fundamental responsibility to encourage character development in the young people. And it's all to do with mimicry, isn't it? So how do you encourage children to discover who they are as individuals? Do you have special lessons or, as you sort of insinuated then, is it literally woven into the fabric of the school day? Very much woven into the fabric. It's about showing examples. And it's the young people showing examples to others. I had a fantastic example. I mean, I did some tours with the, the, the head boys and the head girls. And the way they engaged with the younger children in the school was really, really positive. And, and I thought that is, that is a, a great way of displaying the values that you want the young people to grow up with. But it's also about having the opportunities and saying to people, it's okay to come out of your shell and and display the characteristics. So it's not just inside the classroom, it's outside the classroom. It's, It's all about enrichment, it's about extension, it's about educating for life, not just for exam, but things like encouraging them to think critically, to be independent of thought, to be self-motivated. All those sorts of things are embodying a a character in in a young people. Uh, And I guess the most important thing is for us as adults in a school environment is just treating young people with respect. 
because if you do that, you give them the opportunities, I suppose, to, to form their character. And I think it's about making mistakes as well. You know, allow them to make mistakes. Well, that's very interesting because you're encouraging children to be bold and take the initiative. But of course, by that very nature, that means that they are going to sometimes fail. And I mean, I've got two young boys. I know how much they really hate failing and and how sometimes I feel an urge as a parent to protect them from that. But but maybe that's not the right call. I think failure is, is absolutely vital. They've got to get it wrong and they've got to be able to learn from the experiences because failure encourages resilience and perseverance and if you have never failed when you're at school and the first time you fail is at university or in the world of work you don't have the experience to to be able to cope with that I mean schools like, like this I mean there's huge amounts of support for young people who you know might have got it wrong but they are treated kindly if they do get it wrong if you go off to university there's no one looking after you you're on your own. And therefore, we need to have an opportunity for young people to take risks. They've got to be appropriate risks, particularly from an academic point of view. I, you know, I want people in a class to share their thoughts. And I want there to be an environment in a class where they feel comfortable about sharing it and getting it wrong, because it doesn't matter. Getting things wrong is a natural way of learning. So if they don't like to fail, and you need to encourage them to overcome that. How as parents can we encourage them to be ambitious and yet make them feel that we're their safety net if they do fail? I mean, it's about mindsets, isn't it? You know, you ask any of these great entrepreneurs and they talk about the fact that they have failed so many times that they can't count them. And that is, I think, a great example to young people, but also to parents. I mean, I think young people are prepared to fail if they're given an environment to fail. Now, whether parents are able to cope with that is a different matter. And I think that's a case for schools like ours to educate parents that actually failure is a really important learning tool. As long as you treat people with kindness when they fail, failure doesn't matter because you're trying to help people to succeed. And I think if we can get that across to parents that sometimes your child is not going to get everything right, they're not going to be perfect, And actually, it doesn't matter. Food for thought there with Dr. John Cox, the headmaster of Royal Grammar School in the UK. That's Royal Grammar School Guildford in the UK. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Now, Abu Dhabi has unveiled one of its largest university scholarship programmes to date, with grants totaling nearly 2 billion dirhams up for grabs. The Kotwa or Rise Up programme will offer 6,000 Emiratis the chance to study in both uh, the US and Canada. And the department aims to enrol 100 students in the first group this year, with numbers set to increase annually to reach a total of 6,000 scholarship beneficiaries by 2028. Now, Andrew Hosey has been following this story and joins me in the studio. Andrew, thanks very much for coming in. Tell me a bit more about uh, who is able to benefit from one of these scholarships. Right. So this is aimed at those who've not previously benefited from overseas funding from the government. It was created by Sheikh Khaled bin Mohammed, member of Abu Dhabi Executive Council and chairman of Abu Dhabi Executive Office. And it aims to educate students 
to enrich the national employment pool and drive forward the knowledge-based economy. As Dr. Bashir Al-Matrushi, Acting Executive Director for Talent and Enablement Sector at Abu Dhabi's Department of Education and Knowledge, explained, she told us why the Emirates set up Khotwa. Khutwa Rise Up Scholarship Program represents a strategic investment by leadership to offer an opportunity for students who could not meet the competitive requirements of other scholarship programs. The program is planned to provide new academic pathways for 100 students in 2023 and 6,000 Emirati students by 2028. And she went on to tell us how the scholarship program actually works. Shortlisted students will receive a fully funded scholarship to study for two years at a community college in the United States and Canada. Upon completing these two years successfully, students will be able to transfer their credit to any international or local university to complete their bachelor's degree in key priority sectors. Students enrolled in the program will also receive continuous one-on-one advisory support by our academic counsellors throughout their academic journey. Now, Dr. Al-Matrushi also outlined who exactly can qualify for one of these overseas scholarships. Khutwa Rise Up is open to all Abu Dhabi high school graduates who achieved a minimum score of 65% in grade 12 and a minimum of 3 in IELTS. The same criteria applies for national service graduates who do not hold a bachelor degree and priority will be given for families benefiting from social support programs. Shortlisted students must also commit to a homestay program throughout their study at the community college. So as you heard, their successful applicants will leave the UAE for their assigned community college and homestay program in January 2023. Officials said that in addition to having tuition fees and living costs throughout their homestay program covered, Rise Up enrollees will also receive living allowances and continuous one-on-one advisory support from academic counsellors. Dr. Bashir Al-Matrushi says they're welcoming applications now. We encourage Emirati students in Abu Dhabi who meet the program criteria to apply through our website. Shortlisted students will attend a mandatory five-day boot camp to assess their readiness for the program. In case a student did not meet the English language requirements, they will be enrolled to an English language study, ESL, for one year at the community college. Dr. Bashir Al-Matrushi, the Acting Executive executive Director of of the Talent Enablement Sector at ADEC. My goodness me, bit of a tongue twister there on the title. But fascinating to hear uh, exactly how that process is going to work. Not a small scholarship fund. I have to say, two billion dirhams, billion with a B up for grabs over the next... I mean, you know, till 2028, that's only five to six years. Not bad at all, I have to say. Uh, So you can see a large number of Emirati students in Abu Dhabi will be traveling to the US and to Canada. Uh, Obviously, a real drive to encourage the more young people to take serious degrees uh, and to add to the knowledge economy. So, yes, as you mentioned there, it is a drive to enrich the employment pool and, as you said, move the knowledge-based economy forward. Obviously, the UAE has massive strategy on knowledge-based economy. Uh, as we are seeing, uh, always announcements being made and also uh, assemblies and conventions pushing forward the knowledge-based economy. And also, as we know, the metaverse. That we've oh, yes. About. My goodness me. And uh, yes, and there's a whole new education department, essentially. Uh, all the staffing at the top of the department completely changed in the last six months. So you get a sense 
sense of many changes afoot in the world of education here in the Emirates. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome back to the programme. Loving all the comments that I'm getting from people. Uh, We were discussing earlier the idea of pushing children forward, encouraging them to fail because they can learn from that. Uh, Mansour's got in touch saying he totally agrees with the interview that we did with Dr. John Cox, who is the headmaster of Royal Grammar School Guildford. He says, I totally agree. There is a concept of failing forward. However, we as a society and also educational institutions are currently punishing children for failing in academics. Uh, M gets in touch saying, regarding mental health awareness, I'd like to add my two cents worth. Maybe we should look into making the treatments and assessments more accessible and affordable for people to feel mentally healthier. Perhaps insurance companies should cover these treatments just as they cover other conditions. Our other hot topic today is, of course, the fact that children are no longer required to wear masks in school. Please do get in touch with your reaction to that. Of course, we're just coming to the end of a school day. Uh, about 20 minutes ago. Also, the start of the weekend for lots of people working for the government organisations. Samuel got in touch to say my daughter was super excited to throw away the mask and to go to school without it. Right, we are discussing Abu Dhabi's new scholarship programme on the programme right now. As the Emirates Department of Knowledge and Education unveils a grant pot worth nearly two billion dirhams. Uh, The programme is called Kotwa, which is uh, Rise Up in English, and it's going to offer 6,000 Emiratis the chance to study in the US and Canada, and it revamps the previous scholarship system in the capital. The department aims to enrol 100 students in the first group this year, with numbers set to increase annually to reach a total of 6,000 scholarship beneficiaries by 2028, and it's aimed at those who've not previously benefited from over Overseas funding from the government. But how big an impact do scholarships like these have on the lucky students who use them to travel abroad? Well, joining me now is one Emirati who has gone on to great things. Omar Al Maheri benefited from a scholarship through the uh, scholarship office in Abu Dhabi and graduated in 2017 from Northeastern University in Boston with a degree in electrical engineering. He's now the co founder of one of the UAE's most popular co-working hubs uh, and joins me on Microsoft Teams. Omar, how are you? Good to speak to you again. Uh, Good to speak to you again. I'm great. How are you doing? Very well indeed. And it's lovely to have you on the radio. Can you tell me a little bit about your story? When did you get your scholarship? When did you first hear about it? Um, So when I was uh, in my last year of high school, I went to Dubai British School here in uh, the UAE. And uh, I believe I uh, started my application halfway through my AS levels. Uh, and it was a lot of uh, different examinations, meeting with different people in the scholarship office. Um, so that's kind of when I had to make a decision of what I wanted to study and particularly where. But uh, they were great at advising with that, too. Was there a sense that uh, that this scholarship was going to enable you to, to travel abroad and do something really exciting? Did it really facilitate that? Of course, I mean, um, this was kind of uh, a scholarship that was envisaged by uh, His Highness Sheikh Zayed. And he always, you know, was a big, big uh, believer in, you know, the greatest investment is uh, education. 
Um, so that resonated throughout uh, throughout all of uh, all of the program that I was in. Um, and yes, they did definitely, definitely push us towards, you know, learning from outside and bringing that, uh, you know, knowledge uh, into the country, which was, was a huge motivator. And you kind of felt responsible at uh, an early age to do that. Did you, was it part of the deal that you had to come back? Did they put any rules around receiving the scholarship? So it wasn't a, you know, very like mandatory, like you have to come back and give five years, but it was more of a case by case uh, situation. Um, on the high level, they were saying, you know, uh, I went for a five year program in, uh, in Northeastern in Boston. And um, what they said was, you know, it would be great for you to come back. And they really did help towards the end of my last year. Uh, there was opportunities to stay in the US and work for a year or two. Um, just because of the visa status that you get as a student, uh, specifically in engineering. But um, they found a great opportunity for me, which was the AMR E25 program. And they said, you know, this is a perfect fit for you. Uh, I think it's a great use of your time. So uh, it was kind of a, a case by case because there wasn't many of us in the scholarship program early on. Um, so I think they were kind of dealing with it um, depending on your situation. It's really interesting to hear how uh, individual the treatment was there, that they actually, you know, they they really nurtured you. They watched how you did at, the, at university and then, you know, potentially found a, a, a graduate program for you to then go into. Did you have other friends who also won scholarships or grants? Yes. Yeah, so there was a few other people that were with me in, in uh, Northeastern that I knew personally were part of the scholarship program. Um, and just commenting on what you said, we had uh, individually a, an advisor that would uh, look after us. I still remember mine, his name was John O'Donnell. He was actually from Boston, but was uh, living in Abu Dhabi. And uh, he was incredible. Anything that happened, uh, there were some snowstorms. I don't know if you remember the Boston bombing, but uh, he was the first one to call me and make sure that everything was fine. Um, so these kind of like that kind of one-on-one -on -one really helps you because it's a completely new environment. It was my first time ever in the U.S. Um, and then again, every I think it was every semester, there was at least one meetup in uh, Washington, D.C., where you can go and uh, meet the other uh, Emiratis that were part of the program all across the U.S., um, not specifically just uh, the East Coast. I have to say, as a young teenager traveling all the way to Boston to study, and then uh, because you go, obviously, in October, it's quite nice. Well, September, October, it's quite nice then. But very quickly, Boston gets very cold and you grew up in the desert. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I was not ready for that. I had uh, I had no clue what I signed up for. Uh, I had friends that were in like Miami or like LA uh, enjoying it. the winter <laughs> and I had I had no clue what I signed up for but it was great I mean it was a new experience uh, and I would do it again I mean uh, and, and just uh, noting that sort of new experience do you think I mean, when you look back on your time at university and, and studying abroad, I mean, I studied in the UK. I, I did move quite far away from home. So I did have that sense of growing up, that sense of separation from my family. But in many ways, I wish I'd studied abroad. You know, what did, did do you think that you had quite a special experience because of that? Of course, I, I would definitely advise it um, to everyone, uh, especially with this uh, Khutwa program. I would definitely, definitely recommend it. Um, you know, there's a few things that I took away. Number one was, uh, you know, the instructors there, the teachers, the professors, they were incredible. And just tapping into that, you know, 
that resource that's there and the knowledge that they have uh, on specific topics. Um, even just like an example, I took a psychology class as a as an elective, which is like a free class that you can take. And just the professor there was like one of the founding, you know, people who basically created the psychology curriculum. Wow. So you'll never have that kind of FaceTime uh, like you do. Even my engineering professors were out of this world. They'd spend so much time, uh, you know, just helping guide you to, through that, which I think now we, we're, we're kind of getting to that uh, um, legacy in the UAE with the universities here. But that's kind of where it began. So just getting to be there for a couple of years is uh, it's truly like a, I, I would do it all over again. I do miss uh, university. I do miss studying. Um, I've always thought about doing my master's or, uh, you know, going on to do a PhD. Amazing. I mean, I have to say, uh, similarly, I absolutely love studying. I don't know if I've got the mental discipline to go back to writing essays again, though, I have to admit. Uh, I mean, we said at the beginning, you know, you've gone on to great things. You're one of the, uh, you're, an, you're an Emirati entrepreneur. You've set up uh, one of the, the UAE's most popular co-working hubs. Uh, what are you, what are you up to now apart from that? Is that your main focus at the moment? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, Let's Work is growing and, uh, you know, we, we are kind of focused now on um, geographical growth. So there's quite a few, there's a lot of work to be done uh, that I'm excited for. So my main focus is that right now. And um, I think I mentioned on uh, another program uh, is I'm trying to cultivate a community of Emirati entrepreneurs and that is growing in itself. Um, we have some incredible people. Uh, um, so that's kind of my side thing that I'm doing. And I hope, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm mentioning it now to see if there's anyone else out there who would like to join as well. Yeah, get in touch, 4001, or you can message us 04871 uh, If you're an Emirati entrepreneur or you know one who would like to join Omar Al-Maheri's club, you need a name. Have you got a cool name yet? <laughs> uh, we, we put a random name together. It's called the EC, so the Emirati Combinator, kind of like the Silicon Valley YC. Oh, that's so uh, cool. With the, yeah, with the vision of, you know, like, we can support each other and have, you know, the first uh, Emirati tech unicorn, uh, at least one person from that group to start the, you know, the gradual kind of growth. Amazing. Really, really uh, strong ambitions there and rightfully so. And fantastic to hear about that for the first time on the radio here. We'll be sure to follow the journey of that club in, in, in very closely, not least because I'd love to get more Emirati entrepreneurs on the radio. Omar Al-Maheri, thank you very much indeed. The founder, obviously, of WeWork, which is one of the most popular UE co-working Let's hubs. <laughs> Let's work. Oh, my goodness. You, <laughs> thank you for correcting me. No problem. My goodness me. Uh, Let's work. Thank you very much, Omar Al-Mahari. An absolute pleasure to have you on the radio, as always. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. And it is time for our My Classroom feature. Now, every week, we feature an unusual classroom or school to give our parents uh, and teachers and, of course, pupils here an idea of how children learn in other parts of the world, but we're taking it with a twist today. Often we travel abroad, but this week we are staying right here in the United Arab Emirates, but we are definitely not visiting a normal school because Candy Fanushi uh, from the Pirate Surf Rescue Team in Dubai treats the beach as her classroom and bodyboards as her desks. Candy, thank you for joining me on Teams. Welcome to the program. How are you? 
I'm very good in you. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thank you very much. Now, tell me a little bit more about where your school is located. And I put it in inverted commas because it's more of a, a club in, in many ways, isn't it? Absolutely. We, we located at several venues. Um, Kite Beach is the main one, the original one where we started uh, 13 years ago. Then we have Black Palace Beach, uh, the Palm. We work on Byron Bay, this beach club, and Abu Dhabi. So we've got several locations this year. And yes, we are probably the greatest outdoor classroom that you could ever wish to find. Okay, so when children come to your classrooms, come to your beaches, what type of activities are they learning? You know, such a mixture of activities because it's a mental, physical um kind of environment, very community-based. They learn so many different kinds of activities from bodyboarding, SUPing, kayaking, MMA, survival, marine conservation, first aid, beach volleyball, beach tennis, uh, ultimate frisbee, uh, self-defense. So it's just as well as we always integrate the leadership mentor program, CSR program, which is really important to us. Uh, we're just starting our new marine biologist who's going to integrate that kind of educational um, aspect to the group. So it's it's a huge array of activities that we have in the program. Now, uh, full disclosure, because I live near Kite Beach and I have I, I basically every weekend I go for a nice long walk along the beach track and I see your teams en masse like it at one stage it was you know reasonably small and manageable now as far as i can tell you've got about 3000 kids down there on the beach you really have expanded hugely over the last few years i mean that's a real testament to your success i think you know what it's grown organically and we've kept the same core values from the day that we started there's no hidden agenda i do what i i mean it's grown because i have such love and passion for what i do I never take a day for granted. And it's an absolute privilege being able to work with kids and teach them, watch them grow up. You know, some of our kids have been with us for 12 years. And that is a gift that no money can buy. And to see them grow as individuals and the way that they learn, our head coach was actually started with us when he was 10 and he's now 22. So to see those kids grow up and become such confident individuals, honestly, it's it's a dream job. It's No one can wish for a better job than what I do. I really and truly feel so incredibly privileged for that. How did you come up with your curriculum? Because you really have invented your own program, effectively. Absolutely. There is definitely nothing else in the world. And it's taken, this is now, I've been coaching kids for 32 years now. So it's it's really evolved and, and it's, it's handwritten. Uh, just to see what every child does and what works, what doesn't work. We want them to become the most well-rounded, confident human beings that can leave pirates and walk into any job, any university, any company, or any. a lot of them actually leave Dubai and, and travel. To, it just gives them confidence. We have a, a new program, Backpack to Briefcase, where they're going to start learning etiquette and you know how do you greet people in japan how do you greet people in in france what's you know how do you conduct yourself in an interview and it's just giving them that confidence and again you know certain sports bring certain kinds of confidence in the kids and and helps them to grow and develop in certain areas whether it's self-defense whether it's the water um and i think for me the greatest thing is just making them into really good 
kind, old school, well-mannered human beings. You can ask anybody. I am really old school. Please, thank you. The boys standing up, letting the girls through the door first, not using bad language, pulling out the chairs for their moms. You know, we've lost as a society so much of that. That's had huge implications on the kids today. Social media has destroyed so much of those old school kind of values. Um, doing the CSR side of it is teaching kids to give back, you know, what it actually means to give back, to be kind. And even if you have nothing, you still give. Um, and teach showing that and actually letting them do it firsthand, I think is probably the greatest reward you know, we've ever seen in, in, and for example, we went to Sri Lanka and wherever we travel abroad, we actually go into these orphanages or schools and we try and rebuild them. But the kids have to do it themselves. They collect things from their homes. We bring it back and getting them to walk into this classroom where there was nothing. They'd never seen a laptop before ever. These kids, they've never seen a mouse. Everything was drawn on this old chalkboard. This is what a mouse looks like. This is what a computer screen looks like. And the kids were so happy with absolutely nothing. So when we came in, we managed to buy six laptops for this little school and sports equipment. And we painted the computer room and laid everything out for them. This school had no ACs, no fans, no windows. And I just brought the kids in there and I said, right, no one speak for an hour. Not an hour, less than an hour. Just absorb everything around you. Think about how you wake up in the morning. How do you go to school? How do you get to school? When you arrive at your classroom, what does it look like? You've got an interactive whiteboard. You've got these beautiful green fields. These kids have nothing and yet they're so happy. So, you know, and some of my older kids, 16 years old, seven, literally started tearing up. And I said to them, this is the greatest brain tattoo you will ever have in your life is just to realize how privileged and how lucky you are and how you have the power to change people's lives. That's your biggest thing. You know, you can't learn that in a classroom. You can't see that on a TV screen. When you actually get it and you see it and you experience it, it's the greatest lesson you will ever learn in your entire life. So every single thing that we do, we base it on getting their hands dirty, seeing wow, if you do this, there's consequences to action, to your actions. You know, this is this is real life. You train hard, you push hard, you're going to succeed. You study hard in school, you're going to get A's. There's no quick fix to that. So what you put into life, you're going to get out of life. And so that's, again, the, the whole uh, marine biology side, the educational aspect that we're working on is uh, where kids are going to be physically planting coral coral reefs in Dubai, saying, look, documenting it. Some of them are getting their divers. Go and video it. Go and take video. See that you're actually changing the environment. If every person put their little five cents worth into making this place, this world a better place, imagine how happy it would be. And it takes nothing, even a smile, you know. Walk past somebody, just look at them and smile. Always leave a person, a place, better than what you found it. So those are the kind of philosophies that I teach and practice and, you know, the coaches teach and we, we work on the program. My eldest daughter has been instrumental in all of this, Jackson. She sits with me at nighttime and we work through it and we discuss it and bounce ideas off each other. And it's it's literally a lifestyle for us. It's a it's around the clock 
kind of thing, but the most rewarding thing that I could ever, ever dream of. You've, you've remained independent throughout the 13 years. You, you know, you're not embedded in a school. Do you wish in many ways that the schools here in the UAE would bring more of the principles that you have, more of those hands-on principles into the curriculum? Absolutely. More than you could ever, ever imagine because I've seen the kids come through. I've seen their mental, you know, I think a lot of what COVID has done has actually been masked indirectly that the kids have struggled so much in their their mental health and where they are and the fears that they've developed and when you're out on the beach you're by the ocean you're mixing you know I teach the kids when you see each other you shake each other's hands nice good firm shake look each other in the eye say good morning good afternoon how are you you know that I think is schools have lost that because it's just even my my youngest daughter actually didn't she left school after her GCSEs and she traveled the world surfing. She went and lived in a, in a literally a, a beach tree house, learning surfing there on her own with an instructor and then going to Portugal and Sri Lanka and the Maldives. And what she came back from those, that year of traveling could never be replicated in the classroom. Now she's in university. She's just managed to get into uh, university in the UK. But we, none of us have any regrets that she did that because there is no price to pay for that. There is there is no better opportunity than exposing kids to doing these incredible things and, and tasks that we do. Really inspiring words. Candy, uh, absolutely fantastic to speak to you. Thank you so much for giving us uh, the time uh, in your day because I know you're incredibly busy. Uh, Candy Fanucci there from Pirate Surf Rescue Team in Dubai. As you heard there, she treats uh, the beach as her classroom and bodyboards as her desk. Up next, we will be discussing more of the sort of uh, outdoor activities that you can do with your children right here in the UAE. But a great pleasure there to speak to Candy. And that's all from the Eye on Education podcast for this week. Make sure you tune in every Friday from 11am to catch up on the latest education headlines.